Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, coming to you with something a little bit different this time. The Minnesota Vikings made a change at defensive coordinator, which, if you've been paying attention, was to be expected. Um, We've been talking about it like it was an eventuality, and Kevin O'Connell decided to make that change, so the search is on in Minnesota for a new defensive coach. We will be talking to you about that uh, in the coming week, and you can always follow all of the updates to date at startribune.com. In the meantime, I wanted to thank all of our listeners for including us in their weekly menu of podcasts. We will aim for keeping up a weekly appearance on your feeds throughout the season, although that'll fluctuate a little bit. Um, I wanted to throw in a bonus episode here to include some interviews for stories that we've already written for the Star Tribune. Um, You'll hear from around the locker room at TCO Performance Center in Egan and the home locker room at U.S. Bank Stadium as players discuss the defining moments of a 13-4 and regular season. Uh, It was really full of ups and downs, um, but we're going to try and highlight some of the ups here. um, And then later on, we'll talk to a couple pending free agents. Um, You'll hear from Garrett Bradbury and Alexander Madison as well. And that, that sets a different tone as these guys kind of embark on some uncertainty, as, as many NFL players do, uh, entering off-seasons with contract situations and all that. And then we've got leftover mailbag questions that I'll get to as well. We'll answer some of those. But first here, left tackle Christian Derrissaw. I talked to him about what he's going to take away from this season. And he said he, he'll remember this year mostly for the Kevin O'Connell hire and the season-opening win against the Packers. It's like seeing what they did out there with the, the Rams and like guys, type of guys that we got in this locker room, and like the impact that he could put on us. And then like that first game of the year, Green Bay, because the preseason we all really didn't, like we didn't have opportunity like to play together, like all the starters to play together. So like that first uh, game versus Green Bay was just like we really got like a special group. And, like, no one can stop us, really, but us. Like, the sky's the limit type of deal. And, like, from there, we just clicking. From there, the Vikings went on to lose decisively at Philadelphia, where the offense fell flat in what would be the first of the few no-shows. Interestingly enough, that's where long snapper Andrew DePaula said he knew the Vikings' special teams were capable of big things. Uh, Patrick Peterson blocked a kick that game. Ryan Wright punted well. Uh, the same undrafted punter who led the league in touchback percentage and ended up being a good choice for this special teams unit that was very up and down all year. But in Philly, they covered kicks well. Um, Peterson blocked the aforementioned kick, right punted well and all that. They lost by 17. They won the next five games before losing tight end Irv Smith Jr. to a high ankle sprain um, in that Cardinals game in that win on October 30th out of the bye week. And that was just a couple days before they decided to trade second and third round picks to Detroit for tight end TJ Hawkinson in what was really another defining moment of this season and one that will carry on as Hawkinson replaces Smith as the Vikings' primary tight end. Um, The Vikings also got two fourth round picks in that trade, essentially trading back from the second and third rounds to the fourth rounds each of the next two drafts. One of those fourth round picks in 2024 stays a fourth rounder because the Vikings lost the first playoff game. If Minnesota had won that playoff game against the Giants or won any playoff game, 
one of the stipulations and conditions on one of those fourth round picks was that it would become a fifth round pick, but that does not happen because the Vikings are sitting at home right now. But Hawkinson said uh, earlier, this would have been last month, that his first game in Washington, where the Vikings trailed 17-7 to in the fourth quarter and still won uh, as, as one of those many fourth quarter comebacks, offered a lasting memory. Uh, I would say it would probably just be my first one, uh, Washington. You know, we were down for a little bit, and, um, you know, Brian came up to me and was like, uh, don't worry, we're going to come back, and somebody's going to make a play, and, and we'll end up winning. And then that's exactly what happened. So that's kind of that was kind of my first experience, first taste of it, and, you know, it's something that I, you know, I, I want to say I've been a part of, but it's... Uh, you know, it's just it is unique and special to have all all the guys be in there and be like, no, you know, no worries, no no, uh, you know, no doubts. General Manager Quase Adolfo Mensa was asked this week at a season-ending press conference if that Hawkinson trade at the end of October was a push to be more competitive than rebuild. If you remember, Adolfo Mensa mentioned in his first press conference after the start of free agency last March that the Vikings were viewing this as a competitive rebuild. Um, but that Hawkinson trade is certainly a piece that helped them make that push this year. You know, I would say it's, it still was both, obviously. I, I would say that. But if you think a move like TJ Hawkinson, for example, I think that was a today move, but it's also a really great ascending young player uh, who played well for us this year we have under contract next year and with the ability to, to keep around for a long time. He's fit so well into our culture. Uh, you know, again, part of our alignment is sitting in an office, talking about the player, and then watching him use him in the exact way we talked about, which makes my job so much easier and, and makes our, our whole front office and our coaching staff just you know vibe together that much better. So I would say that move would say that it was both a competitive and a rebuild at the same time. But so the, to Kevin's question earlier, you know, you think about the bridges we tried to build from the, our rookie class to play, who's playing now. We had a really great special teams unit partly comprised of those young players that we have. And then ultimately at some point they're going to have to take, take on bigger roles. And that's all part of the competitive rebuild and all those things we, we try to factor in. The play of the year was obviously Justin Jefferson's 32-yard one-handed grab on 4th and 18 in Buffalo, where Jefferson said it felt like he was, he was in a movie. I think which a lot of Vikings fans might agree was like watching him this season uh, or at all. But that's in Buffalo is where the Vikings had the best win of the season. It came on November 13th. It was the only time the Vikings won this year as betting underdogs. And it showed the locker room, too, that they could compete with the league's best. Uh, I talked to nose tackle Harrison Phillips, who was drafted and played four years in Buffalo, um, about that game, and he pointed to that game as, as one of the highest points, if not the highest point, this season. When you look at some of the things that we've accomplished this season, and um, even taking my personal bias out of it, to win at Buffalo, I think that that's a really big thing to do. I've been on the other side of that. They preach win at home, win at home, win at home. It's a hard environment to play in, conditions, all these things. Uh, to go there and beat them, 
um, I think was a, a really impressive thing for our team and the, the way that we did it, having all three phases, having to show up. Um, I think when we, we left that game or, you know, we're finishing that and looking back and still saying we didn't play our best football um, in that game. And I know that they feel the same way about it, but still, anytime you can beat a team like that at their place is very impressive. Like, I know Josh personally and know how, how amazing of a football player he is and how confident they are when they're, you know, down or two-minute mode or overtime. Like, they just know Josh is going to win us this game. That's what Josh does. And so, um, you know, the fact that we were able to come up the way we did, our offense was able to come up on a, you know, top five, top ten defense and score the points that they did. I think just collectively to, to, to accomplish that, um, it's like, yeah, we're up there with the best of them. The Vikings dealt with a couple crippling losses to the Cowboys and the Lions before finally clinching the NFC North on December 17th in the greatest comeback in NFL history. Those of you that stayed in your seats through a 33-0 halftime deficit, I quite the story to tell. Uh, the Vikings clinched the first division title in that game since 2017. Uh, just a floating dumpster of events transpired uh, before halftime against Matt Ryan and the Colts. The Vikings rallied, outscoring the Colts and Jeff Saturday, the former Indianapolis center turned ESPN NFL analyst, turned interim head coach. Um, they outscored him 39-3 to the rest of the way in that 39-36 to win uh, it was right tackle Brian O'Neill's first division title. It's a crazy day, but a culmination of a lot of hard years of work from guys who've been here for a while trying to get this done. So really happy to be able to do that today. Obviously not in the fashion we wanted, but shit, we'll take it. Yeah, you guys mentioned just all the years, been through a lot. Um, does that add to the collective relief, I guess, and feeling of how much this means? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we haven't been able to do this and since before a lot of guys were here. I think 2017 was the last time. So um, it means a lot to a lot of guys that have put a lot of hard, you know, hard work into this thing. And um, we've, got, we've been through some ups and downs together. And uh, just to do it with this group of guys and this coaching staff feels great. Yeah, I mean, if I could just get you on the record, yeah. Um, at halftime, what was the feeling like down like yeah. you were, knowing what you had to do to move Um, It was a little bit like, oh, shit, at first, <laughs> not going to lie. But... You know, the message was, we, you know, we go out and compete. And if we put two on the board, you never know what happens. So let's just try to get first drive going, score a touchdown, just get a second one rolling, just see if we can put some stuff together. And, you know, then, you know, we'll see where it goes. And it went all the way today, I guess. We've been in these situations before. I mean, you know, there's no flinch. And guys, you know, Kale always says, and a lot of guys on our team say the best part. When shit gets tough, the best part of this team comes out. And I think that today was a perfect example and the Vikings' season ended, as you all know, with two meetings against the Giants in their last four games, winning the one on Christmas Eve with a 61-yard field goal from Greg Joseph and losing that playoff game last weekend. I want to look forward here the rest of the podcast. Uh, we'll answer some mailbag questions. We'll talk about some free agents, and we'll talk about uh, some rookies. I did a lot of deep diving on the statistics of just how little the Vikings got out of that rookie draft class and undrafted class compared to the rest of the NFL this season. And we'll look at it just from, as Quase Adolfo Mensa calls it, an exposure standpoint and look at uh, just the playing time and raw numbers there and discuss that. But first, the Vikings have some decisions to make eventually when it comes to the end of February and March. 
Uh, when the deadlines hit for a lot of these free agents, a lot of the guarantees in some of these veteran contracts, um, they have certain things built into these contracts to force early decisions on some of these higher-priced guys. So, And the Vikings have a lot of them. And they've got a lot of talent that's hitting the open market. Uh, defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson is probably the, the number one name. Patrick Peterson is obviously also up there in terms of pending free agents. Um, but they've also got kicker Greg Joseph, um, Channon and Sullivan, who struggled at slot corner this year. Um, they've also got center Garrett Bradbury and running back Alexander Madison. And I talked to both of those guys before um, the Vikings team broke up for the, the offseason. And I wanted to share some of what they had to say just on the season coming to an abrupt end and their uncertain futures in Minnesota. Bradbury was the highest center drafted in Vikings franchise history in 2019. Um, he's had a very up and down career in Minnesota, obviously, through 57 starts. That included getting benched in Mike Zimmer's last season last year, last November. Um, for struggling, he ended up getting benched for Mason Cole and losing his job. Um, largely been available. That's That's been his biggest strength and really praised under Kevin O'Connell for his intellect and his handling of protection calls. But as you saw Dexter Lawrence just dominate that Giants wild card game, uh, the deficiencies in just holding up and providing an anchor in that pocket, just they remain for Bradbury uh, through four years. But um, he's built a lot of relationships, and you, you lose the we lose the human element of this game often when we talk about it in the ways that we do and analyzing it. Um, but hearing just the tone in his voice, and and obviously seeing these guys as they clean out their lockers after this kind of loss, uh, resonates a lot more than just reading it on a page uh, or in a stat sheet. So. Uh, let's hear a quick from Bradbury, who came back from a five-game absence due to a lower back injury. Uh, he says he's healthy, which is good news for him, as he's going to have to negotiate a new contract this offseason. Not the ending we wanted, but, you know, there were some awesome things that happened that game. Just tough. You know, it's rookie year. It was the same feeling. The season ends, and you're just like, it's over, you know? Like, weird and then today is the worst day of the year this or cut day I don't know which one's worse but um, it was good to be back out there after yeah. five weeks of just not knowing if I could come back finally came back just that's tough but I should ask is the back everything all right yeah no I feel good I feel good um, like I said the, the trainers and everyone that was involved did a great job getting me back out there um and the good thing is, from what I'm hearing, is nothing further in the future. This shouldn't hinder anything. So it's good to go, and I feel good today, other than typical soreness. So that's definitely answered prayers, and, and I feel good about it. And obviously you're a free agent coming yeah. out. How do you do that situation? Weird. You know, it's weird. fortunately every year has been guaranteed for me here, the first four years, and, and now I'm in different territory. So, um have some good conversations with the team moving forward and you know let them know that I love it here, I love being here, I'd like to stay here, but you know it's a business and gotta approach it as such and, and figure out where next steps are. But it's definitely weird, you know, it's try not to think about it during the year, but when you 
had that this home game yesterday, and you're like, this could be my last game here. It's just, it's heavy, but um, we'll kind of just let the business take its course, and, and hopefully things work out. But um, it's been an awesome four years, I know that. And just because I don't know how, what I'm going to see again, how, how do you feel about the strides you've made this year? Yeah, it's, it's been an awesome year. It's, I told KO it's the most fun year I've had. It's just coming to work every day. Obviously, winning's fun, and that takes care of a lot of it, but just the day-to-day life here, it's just it's awesome here right now. And we got a good thing um, built in here, and, and just a lot more fun. You know, it's a joy to – this locker room's been great, you know, and I think everyone this year can kind of be themselves. And, um, yeah, something we want to be a part of, that's for sure. Running back Alexander Madison was also part of that 2019 draft class, a third-round pick by the Vikings. He has nearly 2,200 yards from scrimmage in 59 games for Minnesota. Um, Probably not used often enough, but that's what happens when you've got Dalvin Cook in front of you, and um, he's been with Dalvin Cook all four years, then with C.J. Ham, That running back room has probably been one of the deepest in the NFL since they've been together. And uh, Madison talked about just the bonds that they've got and um, really through that emotion after the, the final game against the Giants in what could be his last game for the Vikings. Oh, man, it's been special. Uh, yeah, I mean, it hit me after the game, just understanding it, you know, the potential of being my last game with this group of guys, you know. Um, I know, I know it's, it's going to be hard for me to kind of deal with um, just, you know coming to terms with that but yeah I'm super super grateful for my time uh, in the running back room with such amazing people such amazing leaders behind Dalvin and CJ and um, yeah it's been amazing it's been and I know you're going to be a free agent too so yeah kind of add just that uncertainty for you yeah yeah definitely something you know I've never dealt with it before and have done before so yeah. definitely something that I'm kind of going to have to navigate talk to my agent and uh, kind of see where the cards fall, but yeah, it definitely does make everything a lot more real. No, like what were some of the highs that you're gonna remember about this group? Yeah, just, I mean, all the fun times, uh, all the ups and downs that we've been able to, to overcome together, the adversity that we face together, uh, the laughs, you know, just the brotherhood that we've built um, for life that I'll, I'll appreciate and cherish forever. Looking back at the players under contract for the Minnesota Vikings in 2023 and beyond, Um, They're going to need some people to step up, uh, as every team does every year. But this Vikings roster, as top-heavy as it is, as many questions as it has with some of its high-priced veterans, you got to wonder how many holes they're going to be to fill and who's going to fill them. Uh, Looking back at the Minnesota Vikings 2022 season, uh, only the Carolina Panthers had as few rookies play over 200 snaps on offense or defense. Uh, The Vikings' Ed Ingram at right guard was the only rookie to play more than 200 snaps for them on offense or defense. Injuries ravaged them, obviously. They had four rookies at one point, uh, four draft picks at one point, on injured reserve between Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth, Caleb Evans, Ty Chandler. Uh, Those top three, obviously, being in the secondary where the Vikings needed the most depth and the most help and where they allocated the most draft resources last year. So Kwese Dofomensa has to embark on another offseason of trying to keep this roster afloat, 
while seemingly keeping its core together. We'll see how much of that actually stays that way. But he's got to project for the 2023 season on what that 2022 draft class can give him. Um, the, the coaching staff, the Vikings, did not get a ton of exposure for that group um, this year because of injuries and other reasons. Brian Osamoa was a late revelation for them coming on and playing well in moments against the Colts, Giants, and Packers. He had a three-game run there. And uh, I think you saw Caleb Evans play pretty well in spots. He's a really strong perimeter run defender, which is what um, this this team really needs at corner and what they were missing, um, uh, even with the starters when they were fully healthy on the outside. And uh, Caleb Evans, though, dealt with three concussions, according to Kevin O'Connell. Uh, he left his only two NFL starts against the Bills and Jets with concussions. Um, I talked to him after the season, and, and he was pretty open about saying that um, he's got to fix the way he tackles, basically, the form. He's got to stop putting his head so much in front and, and initiating contact with the helmet, which obviously always doesn't get called if it's not helmet-to-helmet helmet or a big hit. Uh, these little hits pile up and happen all the time, and a Caleb has talked about having to change some of that. He's going to wear a new helmet next year. He talked about building up muscles in, in different areas uh, to try to strengthen uh, himself to withstand the punishment in the NFL. So he's a young guy that they're going to have to keep a close eye on, but he's about the only one, and he actually did lead all Vikings uh, rookies in defensive snaps by playing just 162 over six games for Minnesota. So it wasn't a whole lot, and not a whole lot that they can bank on when they're going to be making decisions moving forward. On the flip side, the Bears, the lowly, lowly Bears, obviously led the NFL with 15 rookies appearing on offense or defense for them, uh, many of them playing pretty significant roles for a team that was just ravaged by injuries, trades, uh, cuts, just all the, the ways that Ryan Poles is full-on rebuilding Chicago, whereas the Vikings under Adolfo Mensa are trying to competitively rebuild, as the GM uh, likes to say. So uh, let's move on and, and answer some questions. Um, we had some leftover from our last episode on the mailbag. I appreciate you guys sending those out uh, as you do. JRG wants to know, uh, if, quote, they should be blaming the defenders and the defensive players as opposed to just Ed Donatel, uh, who was fired on Thursday of this week. And I think when we talk about the questions that they have to address this offseason, it starts with a lot of those defenders, and we'll have a lot of time to discuss that. Uh, and our my colleague Ben Gessling is obviously very good with the salary cap stuff, and he can walk you guys through all that. But... Um, I'll just say that I think when you look at it from a surface level, uh, Eric Kendricks did obviously not, did not play well, as we've talked about. Harrison Smith did not play well in, in that playoff game uh, loss to the Giants. Um, Kevin O'Connell did not dispute the notion that this roster needs to get faster. I think when you were watching Saquon Barkley run on the perimeter and when you were watching Daniel Jones evade the pass rush as often as he did, you're wondering... I was wondering, where's Brian Osamoa? Where's the young linebacker? Where's the speed that they need as Eric Kendricks, Jordan Hicks, Smith, Patrick Peterson getting stiff-armed at one point? Um, the, the old guys look kind of old. <laughs> you know, it's a young man's game, as they say. 
and the Vikings do need to change some things. So you asked me about, or ask us about blaming defensive players. I do think they rightfully are going to shoulder a lot of the blame, but you can't fault the Vikings for making a change at defensive coordinator, one that was expected um, given just how poorly some of those veterans adjusted to, to the three, four front and the coverages and uh, how many coverages were busted. Only the Titans who give up 300 yards to everybody uh, through the air. Only the Titans gave up more big plays through the air than the Vikings this year. And that is supposed to be the pillar of the Ed Donatel shell scheme is taking away those big plays. So they weren't good at what they were supposed to be good at. It's, that'll get any coach uh, fired no matter how many years they've got in the league. And Kevin O'Connell needs to get that side of the ball figured out as an offensive head coach entering his uh, first full off season as obviously he was coaching the Rams offense to a Super Bowl this time last year. Um, Forehand Fed wants to know um, about the Vikings being, quote, physically dominated on the offensive and defensive lines outside of Derrissaw and O'Neal. Um, I, I would say that's obviously true about the offensive line. They, they're a finesse offensive line. Um it's kind of how they were built, right? Like they were built to be that wide zone. Uh, Bradbury was drafted as the highest center in franchise history in part because of how he run blocked at North Carolina state, uh, how he got to the perimeter cut off linebackers. And he's shown that in the NFL, they have succeeded with him as a run blocker. It's just setting an anchor in front of Kirk cousins, which as a non mobile quarterback is a true pocket passing quarterback. That's what Kirk cousins needs is, is some sturdy, protection in in the passing game and as they get a pass first offensive play caller and head coach um, and they keep Kirk Cousins at least through next year I do wonder about what they're thinking internally about Bradbury's future in Minnesota uh, and whether or not um, that wanting to keep him here is mutual uh, from from the front office's perspective Uh, because yeah they were physically dominated Dexter Lawrence dominated everybody to be fair um, but certainly dominated Bradbury, who I thought showed some strides under O'Connell in this offense, showed some strides in terms of holding up and not getting beat as quickly in pass protection. Um, Ezra Cleveland has quietly struggled at, at times and through long stretches of the season, really, uh, and kind of gotten away with it because Ed Ingram has been the worst guard in the NFL in terms of pressures allowed, according to PFF through 2022 so the Vikings interior issues are many and Bradbury looked pretty good compared to the guys on either side of him I thought at times this year and we'll have to see what the team thinks about that this offseason and how they address it but defensively I really don't think they struggled that much in getting overpowered I think actually the the opposite I think they're more of a power and less of a finesse uh, group. Um, they really only had the finesse on the edges with Hunter and Smith. And when those guys can get schemed around and chipped and, and blocked and, and the, the ball coming out quickly against soft coverage, uh, so much was done to neutralize those two guys that they had no quick interior rush in ways that you've seen other teams bring against the Vikings. And And I think it's it's like, right, it's like the offensive line issue where it's something that carries over year after year, where every year we're saying 
in the media, like, hey, they should probably, and fans are saying, they should probably get a good interior rusher, don't you think? And then they spend their first uh, free agency money on a nose tackle and Harrison Phillips or a nose tackle and Dalvin Tomlinson. And those are good players. And, and one of the Vikings' best attributes was stopping the run up the middle. If you go back and look at the December 24th game against the Giants, outside of Saquon Barkley's fourth down touchdown run, which was awful, outside of that, they actually did a very good job stopping the run up the middle, which the Giants like to do inside zone a lot. Um, and then if you look at the playoff game, the Giants said, you know, we're just going to run on the perimeter. We're just the first play, 13-yard outside run um, against the corners when the Vikings were in nickel. That gets called back because of holding, but it tells the Giants coaching staff what they already knew and that, hey, we can just go ahead and, and run on the outside against you guys. And they did. And Saquon Barkley had a 28-yard touchdown on the outside with a little simple misdirection that completely fooled Eric Kendricks. Um, the, the Vikings defenders, veterans, seemed like they were trying to get a read on what the Giants were doing and jump it, and they were just getting fooled consistently throughout that game. Um, so I don't, I don't think getting overpowered defensively is their issue. They need more finesse on that interior line. They need to find a pass rusher up front um, outside of those two edge guys who to, to get a true four-man rush that they just haven't had. Um, just a guy wants to know any update on Lewis scene. Um, I did talk with him actually this past uh, would have been probably three or four weeks ago. And he had said his rehab is on schedule. He's walking around without any assistance. He obviously suffered the compound fractures to his tibia and fibula in his leg on October 2nd in London, underwent two surgeries in London before arriving back at the Vikings facility eight days later uh, in October. He spent the entire year at the Vikings facility around the team at practice. Um, he's talked about just the mental grind of this rehab and being a young guy who wants to prove himself and not being able to. Um, so you feel for him going through that, but physically he says it's on schedule. He in intends to play next year. He's very confident about that, as are uh, the Vikings coaches. So it's just a matter of getting him on the field and trying to continue that development at the NFL level for him, which was a question mark. If you look back at his season, what the Vikings did get out of Lewis scene was two snaps on defense. He missed the preseason finale and the season opener because of, I believe, a knee injury. Um, and then he came back as the seventh defensive back on the depth chart. That's behind the five starters. And I guess if you're counting it just at safety, it would be the fourth safety behind Harrison Smith, Cam Bynum, Josh Metellus, and obviously then Lewis Seen. But he got two snaps on defense, one in two different games, just as like a, a quarters defensive back pretty much as Josh Metellus was the true dime defensive back for them when they were fully healthy. Um, but so the point being, he was, he was limited by injuries, even in the, in the off season and training camp, missing that preseason finale, only getting those two preseason games on the first and second ones, um, and getting some really limited snaps through just three NFL games before breaking that leg. So the exposure as, as Adolfo Mensa said, they're going to need it a lot for, for scene, um, and all of those young defensive backs that they were hoping to see grow this year that were undercut by injuries. But 
Uh, that is the update on Lewis scene. Um, I do believe he's going to stick around for stretches of this offseason to rehab here, but that's what he said a month ago. We'll have to see um, once the Vikings report back in April what the update is on him, but it sounded like he ended the year pretty well. Um, all right, guys. Well, that'll be it for me. And on this episode of the Access Vikings podcast, I do appreciate you checking this out. And we will be talking to you next week as the Vikings continue the search for a defensive coordinator to replace Ed Donatel. Um, please check out all of our work at startribune.com.